Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Chapter 4 of Scrambles Amongst the Alps. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scramble Amongst the Alps by Edward Wimper Chapter 4 My First Scramble on the Matterhorn What power must have been required to shatter and to sweep away the missing parts of this pyramid, for we do not see it surrounded by heaps of fragments. One only sees other peaks, themselves rooted to the ground, whose sides, equally rent, indicate an immense mass of debris, of which we do not see any trace in the neighborhood. Doubtless this is the debris which, in the form of pebbles, boulders, and sand, fills our valleys and our plains. De Saussure Two summits amongst those in the Alps which yet remained virgin had excited my admiration. One of these had been attacked numberless times by the best mountaineers without success, the other, surrounded by traditional inaccessibility, was almost untouched. These mountains were the Weisshorn and the Matterhorn. After visiting the great tunnel of the Alps in 1861, I wandered for ten days in the neighboring valleys, intending presently to attempt the ascent of these two peaks. Rumors were floating about that the former had been conquered, and that the latter was shortly to be attacked, and they were confirmed on my arrival at Châtillon, at the entrance of the Val Tournanche. My interest in the Weisshorn abated, but it was raised to the highest pitch on hearing that Professor Tyndall was at Breuil, and intending to try to crown his first victory by another and a still greater one. Up to this time my experience with guides had not been fortunate, and I was inclined, improperly, to rate them at a low value. They represented to me pointers out of paths and great consumers of meat and drink, but little more, and with the recollection of Montpelvoux I should have greatly preferred the company of a couple of my countrymen to any number of guides. In answer to inquiries at Châtillon, a series of men came forward whose faces expressed malice, pride, envy, hatred, and roguery of every description, but who seemed to be destitute of all good qualities. The arrival of two gentlemen with a guide, who they represented was the embodiment of every virtue and exactly the man for the Matterhorn, rendered it unnecessary to engage any of the others. My new guide in physique was a combination of Chang and Anak, and although in acquiring him I did not obtain exactly what was wanted, his late employers did exactly what they wanted, for I obtained the responsibility, without knowledge, of paying his back fare, which must have been a relief at once to their minds and to their purses. When walking up toward Breuil, we inquired for another man of all the knowing ones, 
and they, with one voice, proclaimed that Jean-Antoine Carrel, of the village of val was the cock of the valley. We sought, of course, for Carrel, and found him a well-made, resolute-looking fellow, with a certain defiant air which was rather taking. Yes, he would go. Twenty francs a day, whatever was the result, was his price. I assented. But I must take his comrade. Why so? Oh, it was absolutely impossible to get along without another man. As he said this, an evil countenance came forth out of the darkness, and proclaimed itself the comrade. I demurred, the negotiations broke off, and we went up to Breuil. This place will be frequently mentioned in subsequent chapters, and was in full view of the extraordinary peak, the ascent of which we were about to attempt. It is unnecessary to enter into a minute description of the Matterhorn, after all that has been written about that famous mountain. My readers will know that the peak is nearly fifteen thousand feet high, and that it rises abruptly by a series of cliffs, which may properly be termed precipices, a clear five thousand feet above the glaciers which surround its base. They will know, too, that it was the last great alpine peak which remained unscaled, less on account of the difficulty of doing so than from the terror inspired by its invincible appearance. There seemed to be a cordon drawn around it, up to which one might go, but no farther. Within that invisible line, jinns and afrites were supposed to exist, the wandering Jew and the spirits of the damned, the superstitious natives in the surrounding valleys, many of whom still firmly believe it to be not only the highest mountain in the Alps, but in the world, spoke of a ruined city on its summit wherein the spirits dwelt, and if you laughed they gravely shook their heads, and told you to look yourself to see the castles and the walls, and warned one against a rash approach, lest the infuriate demons from their impregnable heights might hurl down vengeance for one's derisions. Such were the traditions of the natives. Stronger minds felt the influence of the wonderful form, and men who ordinarily spoke or wrote like rational beings, when they came under its power, seemed to quit their senses and ranted and rhapsodized, losing for a time all common forms of speech. Even the sober de Saussure was moved to enthusiasm when he saw the mountain, and, inspired by the spectacle, he anticipated the speculations of modern geologists in the striking sentences which are placed at the head of this chapter. The Matterhorn looks equally imposing from whatever side it has seen. It never seems commonplace, and in this respect, and in regard to the impression it makes upon spectators, it stands almost alone amongst mountains. It has no rivals in the Alps, and but few in the world. The seven or eight thousand feet which compose the actual peak have several well-marked ridges and numerous others. The most continuous is that which leads towards the northeast. The summit is at its higher, and the little peak called the Hörnli is at its lower end. Another one that is well pronounced descends from the summit to the ridge called the Furgengrat. The slope of the mountain that is between these two ridges will be referred to as the eastern face. A third, somewhat less continuous than the others, descends in the southwesterly direction, and the portion of the mountain that is seen from Breuil is confined to that which is comprised between this and the second ridge. This section is not composed, 
like that between the first and the second ridge, of one grand face, but is broken up into a series of huge precipices, spotted with snow slopes and streaked with snow gullies. The other half of the mountain, facing the Smut Glacier, is not capable of equally simple definition. There are precipices apparent but not actual. There are precipices absolutely perpendicular. There are precipices overhanging. There are glaciers, and there are hanging glaciers. There are glaciers which tumble great serac over greater cliffs, whose debris, subsequently consolidated, becomes glacier again. There are ridges split by the frost and washed by the rain, and melted snow into towers and spires. While everywhere there are ceaseless sounds of action, telling that the causes are still in operation which have been at work since the world began, reducing the mighty mass to atoms, and affecting its degradation. Most tourists obtain their first view of the mountain either from the valley of Zermatt or from that of Tournanche. From the former direction the base of the mountain is seen at its narrowest, and its ridges and faces seem to be of prodigious steepness. The tourist toils up the valley, looking frequently for the great sight which is to reward his pains without seeing it, for the mountain is first perceived in that direction about a mile to the north of Zermatt, when all at once, as he turns a rocky corner of the path, it comes into view, not, however, where it is expected. The face has to be raised up to look at it. It seems overhead. Although this is the impression, the fact is that the summit of the Matterhorn from this point makes an angle with the eye of less than sixteen degrees, while the dome from the same place makes a larger angle, but has passed by unobserved. So little can dependence be placed upon unaided vision. The view of the mountain from Breuil and the Val Tournanche is not less striking than that on the other side, but usually it makes less impression, because the spectator grows accustomed to the sight while coming up and down the valley. From this direction the mountain is seen to be broken up into a series of pyramidal, wedge-shaped masses. On the other side it is remarkable for the large, unbroken extent of cliffs that it presents, and for the simplicity of its outline. It was natural to suppose that a way would more readily be found to the summit on a side thus broken up than in any other direction. The eastern face, fronting Zermatt, seemed one smooth, impossible cliff from summit to base. The ghastly precipices which face the Smut Glacier forbade any attempt in that direction. There remained only the side of Val Tournanche, and it will be found that nearly all the earliest attempts to ascend the mountain were made on that side. The first efforts to ascend the Matterhorn, of which I have heard, were made by the guides, or rather by the chasseurs of Val Tournanche. These attempts were made in the years 1858-59, to 59, from the direction of Breuil, and the highest point that was attained was about as far as the place which is now called the Chimney, Cheminée, a height of about 12,650 feet. Those who were concerned in these expeditions were Jean-Antoine Carrel, Jean-Jacques Carrel, Victor Carrel, the... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.